That's the sound of a healthy and steady heartbeat and your reminder to see about the health of your heart. February is American Heart Month and we like to raise awareness about heart disease, the leading cause of death worldwide. For women, statistics are just as alarming. About one in three women are diagnosed annually. Joining the conversation to reinforce the importance of heart health, we have Representative Melissa Minor Brown, Michelle Taylor, the President of the United Way of Delaware, and Dr. Velma Scattleberry, the first African-American female transplant surgeon in the United States. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. Here to speak with us about American Heart Month is Representative Melissa Minor Brown, a nurse, educator, and advocate for health equity. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So some people immediately think of Valentine's Day in February, but this is actually American Heart Month, a time when people raise awareness about heart disease and metabolic syndrome. What should people know? So it's so funny because Valentine's Day, you think of red, right? Red hearts. Mm -hmm. But for me, red hearts means heart health. You know, it's a good time of year to start to think about what you are doing to take care of your health. What, what type of self-care are you offering yourself? A lot of people don't know, despite the increased awareness um, over past decades, that heart disease is a leading cause of death for women in the United States. And that's actually for black and white women. But heart disease is also, I want to say it's second to cancer in the Hispanic, um, Asian, and Pacific Islander women as well. I can give you a few statistics about one in 16 white women, black women, and Hispanic women mm -hmm. have been diagnosed with heart disease. And for Asian women, it's about one in 30. So that is a very, very large number when you look at the percentage of women. I mean, one in 16 you can be in a room with 16 women and one of those women will be diagnosed with heart disease. So what about metabolic syndrome? Can you explain that? And is that related to heart disease at all? Absolutely. So, so metabolic syndrome actually increases your risk factor for heart disease. What it is, is it's a cluster of conditions that kind of occur together, which increases your risk for heart disease, but also for stroke and for uh, type 2 diabetes. Some of the conditions would include increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, excess body fat around the waist, and also abnormal cholesterol, or others would say triglyceride levels. But all of those together would increase your risk for heart disease. And it sounds like it can happen at any age. It can happen at any age. A lot of individuals think that Heart disease is something that kind of happens over time, and then only uh, seniors get diagnosed with heart disease. But that is not true. So I, I looked at a study. I read a study about, it was probably about five or six years ago, and there were autopsies done on uh, teenagers in their late teens. And what they saw was that their arteries were already at the point where they were leading towards heart disease. So when you think about 
you know, feeding your children McDonald's, French fries, you know, using butter on toast. If that is something that you're constantly doing and you're not really thinking about it, you know, it's easy to run the McDonald's and get your kid a Happy Meal. But if that's something that you're doing a couple times a week or even once a week, you are already putting your child at risk for heart disease at an early age. Because these kids were so young. I mean, 19 and 20 years old and mm. their arteries were already clogged. Wow. Wow. I know I don't go to McDonald's, but I am. I love butter. I love butter and I, I love to put it on my pancakes and my my toast. So I guess I need to slow down. So what should a healthy diet or lifestyle look like? So, well, first, you know, it's under, it, it's important for individuals to know what the risk factors are for heart disease. Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So we're sitting at home. We're not doing much. Um, less physical activity than usual. Munching on different non-healthy foods. These are all the things that we have to stop and take a look at, our lifestyle choices, because these are the risk factors that are actually modifiable. So, for instance, diabetes, that's modifiable. You can work on getting your blood sugar down by just choosing healthier foods, foods that are not high in sugar, foods that aren't high in, in saturated fats. Being overweight or obese, something as simple as maybe a walk around the block once a day. Even if it starts with one or two times a week, and I mean a, a five-minute walk, something that gets your blood flowing, gets you outside, because one important thing is, in order to have, in order to improve your, your physical health, you have to improve your mental health. So getting outside and taking a walk, eating a healthy diet, lots of green vegetables, increasing your fiber, less saturated fats, less processed foods. Um, not drinking too much alcohol. All of those things will put a person at a higher risk for heart disease. What would you like people to walk away with from this interview? If anything, I just want individuals to know the risk factors, know the symptoms of a heart attack. That's really important. The, also the symptoms of a silent heart attack, but just pay attention to your health. You know, someone said to me once, if you love yourself, you'll pay attention to what food you're putting in your body. And that is so, so important. You know, I've heard people say, I get stressed out and I eat. Okay, maybe it's time to look at different coping mechanisms, or maybe it's just time to really look into mindfulness. You know, what other things can you do so that food is not the number one option? Like maybe take a walk, you know, maybe read a book, maybe clean the house or find a hobby but not let it be food. But when you eat food, don't let the food be a burden. You know, it's okay to have French fries, but maybe not French fries two or three times a week, deep fried in, in grease, because that begins to add up. So it's important to just pay attention to what you're putting in your body. It's important to know how genetics play a part. You know, if you have a family history of high blood pressure, heart disease, um, or other, you know, related conditions, then you know that you need to pay extra attention to um, your lifestyle choices. Also, smoking cigarettes is another risk factor, you know, in addition to eating unhealthy diets. So if anything, it's just getting the word out there so that individuals can be aware of what they're putting in their body and how to, how to take care of your health. Yes. 
I believe your body definitely gives you signals and lets you know when things aren't going right. I remember a time when I had like a benign overgrowth of the skin. I don't know the full medical term, but it was acanthosis. And what my dermatologist said is, oh, you're eating too much sugar. Uh, you're pre-diabetic. And so, yes, that that's a part of metabolic syndrome, which can ultimately lead to heart disease, but just something as small as a benign overgrowth of the skin caused me to 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 change my diet once my dermatologist said it was linked to diabetes. So being aware of your body and all those things are truly necessary for all of us to uh, pay attention to. Yes. And that's it's so interesting that you talk about your skin because your body will tell you when something's wrong. And a lot of times it presents through your skin, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, some people will say, oh, I have acne. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I say is, what are you eating? How's your diet? Yeah. You know, because that right there is enough to show up on your skin. Mm-hmm. You know, someone will say, I'm so tired. Well, what are you eating? Mm-hmm. You know, when's the last time you exercise? A lot of times exercise <laughs> will actually give you more energy. I know, believe you know, it or not, <laughs> it does. Yeah, but, you know, while we're on this call, I also want to just really quickly just review the symptoms of heart disease because it's so important. You know, when people think of a heart attack, they think of, they, or if you look at a movie, you see someone grab their chest and they're like, oh, my, my chest hurts, and then they fall out. But that doesn't happen in the real world. Every once in a while, yeah, someone will grab their chest. But especially with women, sometimes women have no symptoms at all. Or they may have pain in their arm or maybe a dull pain in their chest where they feel like maybe they've got indigestion or pain in their neck or their jaw or their throat um, or their upper abdomen. Men, too, can get the upper abdomen pain and sometimes a lower back pain. You never think, oh, my goodness, I'm having a heart attack or this could be heart disease. Maybe my arteries are blocked and my heart's not getting enough oxygen. Nobody thinks like that. Yeah. But that 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 are those are signs of heart disease. Also, nausea, vomiting, and fatigue are signs of heart disease. Then there's something called a silent heart attack. Okay. And silent heart attacks, see, those symptoms individuals really don't pay attention to. They don't realize. But that could be indigestion or or flu-like symptoms, or feeling like you may have strained a muscle in your chest or your upper back. And that is a silent heart attack. So it's important that individuals pay attention to these things. It's important that individuals see their primary care provider every year, at least for a physical. Yes. Know what your blood pressure is. Know what your cholesterol is. I'm glad you brought up the skin because we don't think about our skin. The skin is your largest organ. And so starting there and seeing a dermatologist and even like you mentioned, a primary care physician, are all steps that we need to take every year and to stay up on it as well. And so thank you so much for offering all this information. I know that you're very passionate about health equity. Is there anything you'd like to share uh, in regards to that? What I will say is heart disease does not discriminate, although it is the leading cause of death in women, okay, as black or white women, But there is a very high number of African-Americans that are diagnosed with heart disease every year. So no matter where you are, what community you're in, it is so, so important 
that you have a primary care provider so that they can get to know your body. You can have these conversations, know your risk factors, know your family history. Now that's for the community, but for the individuals that create access, the individuals that create policy, change policy, make the laws, it's important that individuals in communities that have historically been hindered, forgotten about, disenfranchised, that they have access to these resources because these are the communities that you see a corner store on every block, a liquor store every other block, nowhere to really go out and walk, run, or play. And, and eventually individuals become their environment. So it's important that we look at how policy has hindered communities and we begin to uplift these communities because everyone has a right to clean air, clean environment, clean water, healthy foods, and healthcare. So we have to do better. We have to do better for these individuals. I'd like to take this time to welcome Michelle Taylor, the president and CEO of the United Way of Delaware. And she has a very personal story, a very unique story that I think is a good one to encourage women to take their health seriously. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. February, as we know, is American Heart Month. And this is a time, well, we should be raising awareness all year round, but this particular month, we really like to reach out to women to talk about heart disease. Uh, tell us your your unique story. Yeah, so I know I shared this with you um, previously, Michelle. So a few years ago, I'm trying to think about the time frame now, and it seems like it was a minute, so maybe more than five, but less than but less than 10 years ago, I was at work. I wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling well all day. I had this discomfort in my heart. But I had meetings and I that I just didn't want to miss. And so I just kept working through it. I even had a, a dinner meeting. And I, you know, we kept debating, should I go or not go? And so I did. And halfway through the meeting, I was like, I really just don't feel well. And I said, I really needed to cut the meeting short. And I needed to go home. And so on the way driving home, it was pouring down rain and I was trying to decide if I should just wait until the next day and go see my doctor if I should just go to the urgent care and I decided just probably for all the wrong reasons I said I'm gonna go to the urgent care now because I didn't want it to disrupt my my schedule for the next day I think as women we get so busy and sometimes yes. we don't have priorities in place and I was more concerned about, you know, taking care of the task and the work at hand. And at that moment, even you would say about myself. Cause, and so I get, go to urgent care. And as soon as I get there, they're like, you're having a heart attack. Oh. And immediately they're throwing oxygen over me and IVs and calling for an ambulance. Because as the ambulance driver told me um, afterwards, if you really think you're having a heart attack, going to the urgent care is not the best place to be. You should try to be in a hospital, and even the ambulance has more equipment that could save your life. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there literally thinking, oh, my God, is this, is this what a heart attack feels like? You know, and besides the fact that I was, like, call my husband and, and my parents and let them know, right, that um, I'm going. And if anyone's been through this, I think just the whole experience gave, was giving me anxiety. 
And so, but I didn't have, at that point, I really didn't have much pain. And the whole time I'm driving there, the, the ambulance driver is gone, taking my EKG over and over again. Yes. But to make a long story short, um, they, you know, they have to, you know, give you a test when you're at the hospital and they got to do blood work and they got to make sure it's actually a heart attack. And as it turned out, it was not a heart attack, but I did have a heart condition. I actually have an irregular EKG and, and some health things, right, I needed to address that I wasn't aware of. And so that moment gave me an opportunity really to stop and reflect in so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. One, the fact that I was thinking I should have like gone and, and gone to the urgent care sooner, as soon as those signs were there, because we know sometimes those minutes and even seconds can make a big difference between us living and dying. And then in the process of this, I got my first cardiologist. I never had a cardiologist before, right? And yeah. all the, the tests that have followed. And I regularly see my cardiologist now. And I'm on, you know, blood pressure, medicine, and a regimen. And, and one of the things that she reminds me is, you know, I really need to make sure I'm exercising for that 150 minutes a week to take care of my heart. I needed to change my diet and I needed to make sure, right, I came for regular follow-up care for prevention, kind of in this prevention space. So, you know, I, I would say that taking care of ourselves is extremely important. And, you know, I now have, um, I've struggled, honestly, probably like a lot of women, right? Yes. Just 150 minutes of exercise a week. You tell yourself it's five times a day for 30 minutes. And I keep telling myself, Michelle, this is like life and death for you. Like, this is not optional. You don't get to pick and decide if you're going to exercise for just 150 minutes a week. And so, you know, I generally then, you know, I signed up for a jazzercise and I signed up for the gym and I, I try to get mine into three times a week for an hour. So it's 180 minutes and some weeks that works and some weeks that hasn't. But, you know, of late, I got to tell you, I'm a Peloton you know, woman, and I didn't even think I would be this much into to fitness, but yeah. you know, I love my people telling me every day I'm great and I can do this. And so I, that has helped me to find a way for my lifestyle to get in a regiment that I try to exceed my 150 minutes a week now and push myself, but really thinking about it as it's just not optional. Now, when you feel a little discomfort, are you still trying to push through a meeting? No, I wouldn't do that now, right? And so I'm glad, you know, I'm happy to say I don't have those discomforts now, and I really am on the practice and healthier behaviors. And I would actually say, too, you know, I know a lot of people were saying, oh, they have COVID pounds. You know, for me, I've been able to drop weight during COVID because I'm not eating out. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so when we're busy at work, right, we tend to grab, you know, I tend to grab something for breakfast or you grab something for lunch and you grab something for, for dinner. And I eat out a lot. But during the last, like, what, nine months, gone on 10, you know, it's almost been a year, right? I have been cooking myself. Like, I have reintroduced myself to my kitchen. Yes. Um, I used to be one of those people to have one of the things on the magnet, right, that says, you know, basically a good dinner is what we're going to order. Oh. You know, from the 
<laughs> and um, and it's not that I can't cook or I don't have it cooked. It's just it's just you're busy, right? So yeah. cooking takes time. But I have been able to right incorporate a much healthier um, um, eating regimen than I have ever had. So I think COVID for me, because the fact that we're working more remote, um, remote and hybrid, has allowed me to take time for me in the morning. So I do a 5.30 prayer call. I then do my Peloton class. And then I'm eating healthier. And I feel better. And the work, on the other hand, days are longer. It's faster. It's more urgent and a sense of urgency. So that part of it, I haven't really gotten but I feel like I've got me in it. I love it. And so it sounds like you're way more intentional these days about your health and diet. So anything else you'd like to add? Would you like to share or a, a word of encouragement for, for women who often think there's just not enough time? But the reality is we, there's always time. We just have to make time, make our health a priority. Yeah, I think you said it right. We just have to be more intentional about us. I mean, we read all sorts of books, right? The year of yes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we make resolutions. We get all sorts of fitness and wellness things. But what I would say, and which I struggled with over years, is just finding the recipe that works for me, right? You know, you see other people that's able to, to do, you know, to go to the class or go to the gym or their runners or, you know, whatever it is. You, you have to figure out what is it that you absolutely love or can stick to and, and do. So my sister and I made a commitment. She lives in Chicago, but she's doing Pilates. Mm-hmm. And so as long as I've been now committed to my healthier lifestyle over this time period, over the last year, she too, and she is faithful about taking her Pilates class. So Pilates work for her, right? The Peloton, I got I just a treadmill, not the bike, right? So, mm-hmm. so the treadmill and walking works for me. You know, maybe the bike works for someone else or a class or dancing or music or whatever it is. I think people have just to be more intentional and find something that you love doing. I'd like to take this time to introduce Dr. Velma Scatterberry. Thank you for joining us here on Whip Count. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about medical topics. Yes. A bunch of different things. You know, February is American Heart Month, and this is the time that we can have a conversation on heart health and and, and share with others uh, what people should be doing and what they can do. As the first African-American female transplant surgeon in the United States, I just want to say that it's an honor to have you on Whip Count and to always be able to connect with you. So thank you for always being willing to chat with us. Absolutely, anytime. Okay, so what would you like to uh, start with? You know, oftentimes when you think about heart health, you think about a stroke, but there's a lot more that goes into it, would you say? Absolutely. You know, when you think about heart disease, there's so many different aspects of heart disease so if you think about pipes and build up of stuff within your pipes if you think of your blood vessels as pipes those hard plaques will prevent blood flow from getting to certain areas of your heart and you know when you think of a heart attack 
it's just that the blood isn't able to get there when you have a demand for blood. Let's say you're doing something and suddenly uh, your heart, that area narrows down and you have a heart attack because that area of your heart isn't going to get adequate blood supply. So you get chest pain and suddenly that part of your muscle can no longer move. Uh, and so you end up with inability of your heart to pump uniformly. It's as if you uh, had a flat tire or two flat tires and now you can't, you can no longer propel your heart to get the blood out. So that's a tremendous issue that is due to so many different things that we relate to in terms of saying, you know, metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome is just a name given to all the different risk factors that put you at risk for heart disease and the related health problems. Uh, and that's why we think about heart disease, but we're all, you're at risk if you have not just, you, you may not have heart disease initially to start out with, but you may have so many of the, the risk factors that you end up with heart disease. Like, that's why we need to be able to, uh, diabetes, yeah. like high blood pressure, like obesity, wow. obesity more in the sense of having more what we call abdominal fat, uh, where most of your fat is around your waistline. So having a large waistline, what we call being apple-shaped, means that you have excess fat in the stomach area, which puts you at greater risk for heart disease than someone who has excess fat in other parts of the body, such as their thighs and hips. So if you have a huge waistline that's bigger than your hip size, then you're in trouble. Then that gives you you're storing fat around your visceral organs, you know, in your abdomen. And that's because the fat, that kind of fat is not good for you. And that leads to higher, uh, what we call a plaque buildup in your arteries and puts you at greater risk for heart disease. You mentioned visceral fat, and that's something that I, I'm hearing that, that word a lot more. Do you have these new... I, I, now I'm forgetting, oh, new scales, like digital scales yes. that you can connect to your phone, your cell phones. And when you jump on or, or step on to one, it lets you know your visceral fat. And so I guess that's a good thing. I, you know, I just don't understand. I, I'm not technologically inclined to figure out how an app can tell you what degree of visceral fat you have. Mm -hmm. uh, by just um, an app. So for me, when you talk about visceral fat, that's the fat that you store around your your important organs and your intestines, your your kidneys, the stuff that's in your belly per se, in your abdomen. Uh, visceral means that you know an organ, and so the more fat that's around those organs, that's where it goes, and that fat is the hardest fat to move um, and for you to get rid of it sort of stays with you uh, and that's and so as opposed to fat in your thighs or you know in, in your hips uh, and so when you think about when I operate on someone as a surgeon uh, when I open the abdomen and I see that there's tremendous excess fat in the belly then that's surrounding usually your intestines uh, your large colon, your small colon, all that fat just sort of accumulates because of your metabolism uh, may be slower, you may be eating more storage. And so that's sort of a storage point for your, for your body is saying, well, there's just too much around. 
I can't, you know, it goes to your liver, so you may end up with a fatty liver, mm-hmm. and then you end up with all this fat being stored inside your abdomen. And other factors also include cholesterol, not in, you know, your your lipid panel, uh, high triglycerides, which is a type of fat that's found in the blood. You don't want to have that high. I mean, you look at your cholesterol, you want to have the good cholesterol, which is the HDL, called the good cholesterol. You want that to be high, and you want your bad cholesterol which is the LDL, to be low. Uh, and so the goal is how do we build up? You're all going to have cholesterol, but you want to make sure that the good one is the high one who is just going to protect you. So those things become important as well as monitoring your blood sugar. Having a high blood sugar uh, leads to oftentimes, you know, the more sugar you eat, the more your body's trying to, it, to metabolize it. When it can't metabolize it, it stores it. It's about in terms of your intake, and your physical exercise. So if those things will put you more at risk, so the goal is how do you decrease your risk, your risk factors, and how do you eliminate those things that may cause you to get there? Uh, and yeah, some you know we used to say that hepatitis uh, B and C were the, especially hepatitis C were the leading causes of liver disease and the liver transplantation, and it comes from excess fat stored in your liver to the point where it overtakes your liver and destroys your the ability of your liver to function ordinarily. You we didn't have this twenty and thirty years ago mm-hmm. because now we've gone to an age of more obesity and people more overweight and certainly COVID has certainly added to the inactive lifestyle. Yeah, I was getting um, ready to say that. At, yeah, because of not being able to get out or don't want to interact. And so people who worked or walk a lot at work uh, don't have that opportunity to work from home. You're not likely to get up and, you know, at work you walk to the cafeteria, you take a walk outside or something, you break just to get away from your desk, but you don't do that when you're working at home. Uh, and so, yes, you have to make a conscious effort to say, well, whether I'm going to Yes, you know, watch a video on YouTube or some kind of exercise program. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to, you know, burn those calories. And I think this becomes important for us to to remember that because you're stuck inside, it doesn't mean that you, if you can't go to the gym, be creative and looking at the ways that you can uh, be more active. All this information is very important, especially now that we're approaching valentine's day and people typically Mm. get candy (laughs) as Mm. a nice gesture or a gift or just want to go out and have some chocolate cake or whatever but yeah Yeah. this is all good information uh when it comes to being a a a surgeon and, and especially dealing with transplants how difficult is it when you have to work on a patient with something like heart disease? Yeah, unfortunately, when you get to, uh, especially what I do primarily is kidney transplant, and kidney disease is due to the two things that we don't think, blood pressure, high blood pressure, and diabetes. So and so you, have, you already have those two things, and when you have high blood pressure and diabetes for many years, you're going to develop heart disease. So invariably, these patients come to the table with some underlying heart disease, and it's up to us to manage that to see whether there's some way we can control. And second, and thirdly, high cholesterol, the wrong cholesterol. 
high triglycerides and obesity for many patients. So they have all the factors. So we haven't even talked about smoking and inactivity. Those are the things that lead also lead to, to heart disease. And so most of our patients were battling heart disease because heart disease becomes the leading cause of death for patients with kidney failure. Uh, and so because they have all the factors generally, they have 90% of them. So we're managing diabetes, we're managing high blood pressure, but most of all, we're trying to keep them from dying from a bad heart. It's an effort to say, now you need to be, you need to make a better effort to control your blood pressure. We're just going to see you every three months. So, and we're going to send you to an endocrinologist and we're going to send you to a heart specialist. I'm going to make sure that these things all monitored and taken care of because if you're going to get a transplant, we can't have you dying of heart disease a year later. Okay. That defeats the whole purpose. You want to be able to say, how can we fix you and get you in better shape? So many of our patients have silent heart disease, but still end up, when we evaluate them, find out that they need to have bypass surgery or they need to have different medications and, or they need to have stents placed. All these things are interventions that we do to really alleviate the risk of death for these patients with end-stage kidney disease. People often say, and you often hear, that, hey, go to your primary care physician, get checkups yearly. Uh, but mm-hmm. can you go and are there any particular tests that you can request when you go to the doctor to make sure your heart is in in healthy shape. I, I had a friend, her brother went boxing one day at the gym and he collapsed and it turns out that his heart just stopped. So, you know, he mm-hmm. was a pretty fit guy, a vegan and not saying that if you're a mm-hmm. vegan, you're, you're just super healthy, <laughs> but because I tried that route, it didn't work. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he was a fit guy, ate well, and his heart just stopped. Yeah, there, there are other conditions that will cause heart disease, Some, especially for people without any of these underlying conditions. They may also have some either congenital or some uh, what we call an arrhythmia, where you may just have uh, innate inability of your heart to fire and have that rhythm that, that sends out for you to have those heartbeats on a regular basis. So sometimes people have what we call uh, tachycardia, when we say arrhythmia because your heart isn't beating the way it's supposed to be and you may go into a sudden rhythm that allows for lack of blood flow to occur. So those, those instances are generally outside the norm, but it really is important to uh, get checked. Uh, and the reason why you're going to your doctor, you want to make sure that uh, on a regular exam, they check your heart rate to see if your rhythm is normal. They check your blood pressure. I always tell people, know your numbers. What is your blood sugar? What was it the last time you were there? If it was high, did you eat before? Did the doctor mention that? What's your cholesterol? When you walk away from there, you want to know what all these numbers are because you need to know what do I need to work on before I come back? Uh, Is my BMI, uh, my basal metabolic rate higher than it should be, meaning that I am on the upper, I'm not within my norm. I may be in mild obesity, are you know just are just being overweight, or I am in obesity level one or level two, 
uh, and therefore the doctor may say, well, you, you know, it'd be better if you lose uh, 10 pounds or 15 pounds to decrease your risk of heart disease. Uh, and so knowing your numbers, knowing your blood pressure, knowing your, your creatinine, what is my kidney function? Many people are blindsided by the fact that they have kidney disease and we're never, probably never, we'll say never, we're unaware of anyone in the past mentioning any issues with their kidneys or maybe they didn't hear it. So if you talk to the doctor, they'll say, well, I told them, but they just didn't remember. So sometimes it's about having a list of things you need to ask your doctor uh, and you go in. When you take your parents, when you take anyone who's elderly to the doctor, you, you want to come back with this important information. What's your kidney function? What's your blood pressure? What's your cholesterol? Uh, what's your heart rate? Do you have any abnormal rhythms of your heart? Uh, when was the last time you had an EKG if you were diabetic? Um, did you have a stress test if you're over 50 or over 60 and have diabetes? Those are the things you want to make sure that you are aware of so that you're not sort of dismissed as you go in and check your blood pressure and says, you know, you look okay, see you in a year. Okay. No, that's not appropriate. Well, I'm happy that you brought all of this information to light because the one thing I think people should take away is keeping a health journal with all of this Absolutely. information that you mentioned. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience so that they know that they're doing the right thing or they're at least making steps or taking steps to do the right thing? You know, this is February, American Heart Month, but we shouldn't just taken these things just for one month we should be doing things year no. round right and it's really about changing your practices and your lifestyle i know it's hard being home and it's easy to go to the closet and just munch on stuff but you have to say to yourself how much water did i drink today and how many steps did i take did i how many calories did i burn today do i need to take a walk around the building so if you think about Calories in, calories out, because what you eat is going to get stored as fat if you don't, if you're not burning it up. So you want to be able to burn those calories up. And I think those are the important things to say. This is your body. Your longevity is going to be based on how you take care of it. Uh, we take care of our outsides. And you see with COVID, everyone was busy. Everyone was uh, anxious to get back to the nail salons and the, mm -hmm. the hair salons. But did you think about what you're taking in? Uh, did you get your blood work done in the last 12 months since you've been um, home with, co with this, uh, this uh, quarantine? You know, what did, how did your doctor, did you miss your doctor's visit? And if so, when, when was your last doctor's visit? Know your numbers. And I think it's important for us as people to really take the initiative uh, and, and uh, empower ourselves to be able to say, I want these things for my doctor. This is what I want to know. And if you don't have the ability to communicate well with your doctor and you feel that they brush you off and maybe that person's not the right person for you, you have to remember you are the customer. You're paying them to take care of you. So you have to make sure you get the best treatment. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems on Twitter at DE House Dems, on Instagram also at DE House Dems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.